Good morning. morning. It is good to see you today. (laughs) (laughs) No comments. (laughs) Yeah. It's great to see you today, and I love you. Oh, very good. Very good. You guys are just awesome, I think. Visitors are going, man, they don't even like this guy. <laughs> I want to say congratulations uh, to Lauren and Jonathan Timms, who were married yesterday. <laughs> I just love weddings. I think it's just so good. That's just great. So we're happy for them, excited about that. We're excited about you being here today. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much. Uh, yes, I am Harley Davidson, and I'm the... Uh, privilege to be the preaching minister here, I think, uh, uh, for some almost 25 years, uh, June the 20th will be 25 years. It's just amazing how fast it goes by. I mean, uh, it's just great. And uh, God has blessed, blessed me with a beautiful congregation. A car mechanic, I'll talk about him real quick. A car mechanic uh, received this repair order from his boss that simply read, check for clunking sound when going around corners. So he does his due diligence. He drives and takes it for a test drive. And sure enough, every time he went around the corner, it was clunk, 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 clunk. Hmm. Well, with his expertise, it didn't take him long to figure it out, located the problem, and he returned the repair order back to his supervisor, which had a note on it which simply read, remove the bowling ball from the trunk. (laughs) You know, I wish I could say and can tell you that spiritual growth would be that easy of a task to carry out in our lives. But we all know it's not. And uh, therefore, we have to continually look for bowling balls in our lives because we go clunk, clunk. Sometimes we go around the corners. And so we've been really honing in on this spiritual growth uh, concept throughout this year, actually. And it's it's been a challenge and but yet it's been encouraging. I'm going to look today at the book of of Mark. Um, When you read the book of Mark in the Gospels of the four Gospels there, Mark really just starts it off. He doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus and all the other stuff. He just gets right into it. And it's quite interesting because he's really only talking about a three or three and a half year period of time in which Jesus was here on the earth. And in that process, so he's saying, hey, and I got to pen this. I want to get this down, and here's what it is. And so as you work through Mark chapter 8, you begin, or Mark, you begin to look at all the miracles that Jesus does. He's just performing miracle after miracle. And the crowds are gathering more and more all the time. They hear of him from distance, and they come from long distance to, to really get to where Jesus is because they're hearing this is the Messiah, this is the one. Could it be? And all that's taking place. Those that were ill and sick would come to him from a long distance. And, and so he's performing all of these miracles during this time. And in chapter 6, he performs a miracle that we're very familiar with, and it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Scripture tells us that it's possibly 10,000, because it's only probably talking about the, the men that would be there. But nonetheless, the feeding of the 5,000 that takes place with just a little bit of bread and a little, little bit of fish, and he feeds them, and there's this, all these leftovers, and the disciples just amazed by all this that's taking place. 
You go on down through here and you look at in that, just before that happened, his first cousin, John the Baptist, the one that was entered to, to be the announcer of Jesus himself, he is the one that he is beheaded. And it certainly has to crush Jesus. But he understands John's destiny is is heavenward and all those things. And he goes on and does what he needs to do. He's carrying out about his father's business here on earth and he's doing all those things. Then we move into, if you will, chapter 8 and that's where I want to land today. And in chapter 8, we begin to see the feeding of the 4,000. Now, we don't talk about the feeding of the 4,000 because it's not as big as the 5,000. But it's a big event nonetheless, especially for the people that were there. But in that process as well, we often confuse the two or sometimes we just think they're the same thing and it's just talked about again. But it's two different occasions. There's a reason for it to be in there. And I'm not sure I've figured out all the reasons of it. But looking at chapter 8 this week, I thought to myself, uh, this is really where I really want to hone in on. First thing I want you to see is this, is during those days, this is chapter 8, verse number 1. Another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. Now, Jesus had no problem with what was going on there. He could have taken care of it prior to this. To me, it's more of a test of the disciples, those that are following Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that God also puts us in situations to see what we're going to do to trust him or have faith in him. And so in this, he has this, but what I would say there is if you're writing out, if you have a handout, if you like to write there or write something down, Jesus knows where you are and what you need at all times. Jesus is not only a compassionate God, Jesus knows exactly where you're at in your life. Someone needs to hear that today. Something's going on in your life today. Oh, it may not be that you're hungry. You're probably going to go get a meal, but something's going on. Struggle at work, struggle at home, struggle with the kids, struggle with finances, struggle with health. Something's going on in your life. I want to tell you today that Jesus knows exactly where you're at and exactly what you need, and what you need is Jesus Christ. So in that process, that's the first thing I wanted to say. Now the disciples come back with his great answers. They say, but we're, we're, in, we're in a world in this remote place where we're going to find enough food. I mean, we're in Lawton, Oklahoma. We can't do that. We're out in the middle of the desert. Where are we going to be able to find food for all these people? Jesus says, what do you have? He always asks people, what do you have? Because whatever you have, Jesus can do marvelous things with it. Always know this, and this is important for your life. You have something that Jesus can do a miracle through. Somebody needs to write that down because that's a good message. Now in that process, so they say, well, we got these seven loaves of bread. That'll do. He said, but they're thinking, well, it won't do because we can't feed all these people, surely. So what does he do? He has them sit down once again, and he feeds them. Now, we're going to ad-lib through this pretty quickly because it's not really the heart of the message that I want to get to. After the disciples had picked up afterwards, they picked up seven basketfuls of food. It's amazing. Seven loaves turned into seven basketfuls left over. Everybody's fed, about 4,000 it says. They, so they get in the boat, and he dismisses all the people. They get in the boat, and they go to another region, and I'm not sure 
the pronunciation of this Dalmutha or whatever it is. But nonetheless, when they get there to this region, they run into a group of people that are very religious. They're called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were very religious people, but they didn't care much about a relationship with the Messiah. That's exactly what their trouble was. They didn't want to get to know Jesus. They just wanted to tell Jesus what they knew about the Messiah's coming. And all the while, he's standing right in front of them. So in this, Jesus begins to... And they come to do something. They come to test him. And the reason why they want to test him is because they want to find fault in him, something connected to the law, so that they can get rid of him because he's really cutting in on their business. He's pulling their crowds away. And so in this, they say, hey, we need a miracle from heaven. He said, hey, you were always asking for a miracle. I'm going to tell you what, this generation, you're not getting one. So much so that Jesus walks away from them. In fact, he floats away from them. He gets in the boat, he goes to the other side. And I find that interesting. Now he's, go- he's gone to the other side. They need to get away. They need to get away from those that are looking for something from God that is not what God is wanting to give them. They weren't there for to honor God in any way. They were there to get glory for themselves. I'm going to tell you something, insert something else here. I wrote this in this morning when I came in early. Sometimes you need a remote, you need a remote place or you need to remove yourself from the people that you're around. And I say that with respect. The core of your friendship should be those people that have a trust and belief in Jesus Christ. That's the core of the people you're around. Now, you're going to be around people that don't believe in Jesus. Ah, that stuff's all made up. This is that. That's understandable. You're going to have friendships. But the core of your belief is important. Why? It is because you can become weakened by those quickly that do not know Jesus or care nothing about him. They'll get you to slough off. They'll get you to start missing classes or church and all those things. Before you know it, you become more like them than they become like you. It is important to separate yourself from those that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Again, you can have them as friends, but they should not be your core group of who you hang with. I know those are harsh statements for somebody. Somebody needs to make an adjustment in their life. But that's what God wants us to do. Even Jesus wasn't going to hang around with those guys. All right. So they get in the boat. They go to the other side. I love this particular uh, verse here in verse number 14. The reason why I like it is it helps me in my walk. I forget things from time to time. Anybody else? Okay, we've got a few honest people here. So I forget things at times, but I also forget things that God has told me about or God has promised me. And so in that, when I read this, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. I'm like, they were handpicked by Jesus. And if they were handpicked and they forgot, then, hey, there's room for me to grow too, right? All right. So they forget the bread except for one loaf that they had with them. I wonder who wanted to take credit for that one loaf. Hey, I brought my bread. You guys don't get any. They brought one loaf. Now, Jesus knows exactly what's going on again, and he knows where their hearts are, and that's what we're talking about today, our hearts. So he tells them, he gives them a warning, and I want you to know the warning is for us as well. Once again, it goes back to our, the relationship with the people that we're around. What is it? He says, be careful, be careful here, because 
Oh, yeah, there you go, back. He's, he's in this, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, the Pharisees, religious people, not very much in a relationship with God, and Herod, not good at all. So he makes that statement to his followers. They're confused by it, so they have a discussion. And in their discussion, they connect the yeast part, being with bread, they connect it with that they forgot or they had failed to bring enough bread. Now, that yeast connection there, yeast connects with the dough that causes it to rise. Again, your core group has to be those people that are solid in Christ Jesus. And they're there for a reason. They need you and you need them. Because when you need uh, uh, loved up, they can love you up. When you need encouraged, they can encourage you. When they need it, they can encourage you. Non-believers are not going to encourage you in the Lord. They're not. They're non-believers. They're going to tell you, you go do your own thing. Make yourself happy. Be all this. Be all that. That's what non-believers will tell you. Believers will always instruct you, and you can tell who your friends are that are, are great Christians that you need in your life. Those that always go back to the Word of God to give you direction in your life. When you counsel them, you should always be able to direct them. It doesn't mean you have to pull out the Bible and give 15 scriptures for them, but you should be able to say something of God's Word to impart to them. Why? Because God's Word in you can bring great dividends in your life. And so that's a blessing there. So watch what Jesus does. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, and these are seven questions that he asked right off the bat here. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful pieces did you pick up? Twelve! One jumps up and says, twelve! They didn't answer any other question. They answered that one. Twelve! We knew exactly twelve! He doesn't stop. He keeps going. And when I broke the seven loaves, seven, I could just see, wait a minute, I got the right answer. Well, big whoop-de-doo. Why do I say big whoop-de-doo? That's not in scripture, by the way. That's a different translation. But he said, he said to them, do you still not understand? Is he asking anybody in this room today, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? what this is all about. Hmm. Our hearts can become hardened when we don't understand that Jesus is all we need. The bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Write that one down. Jesus is the bread of life. But the bread of life was standing right in front of them and all they could do was focus on the right answers of how many baskets were left over. And they were patting themselves on the back, I believe. Of the first seven questions that Jesus asked, there's eight here that he asked, but for the first seven questions that he asked them, they answered two of them, and yet the other five were the ones they needed to answer the most. Write this down. It's on your handout as well. A hard heart does not grow. It eventually dies. has no choice. If you take a flower, a bouquet of flowers, you ladies out there, you get these beautiful flowers from your husband, your sweetheart, 
and they come to you and they're just so beautiful. They're just, oh, they're just so beautiful. But you know what you're looking at? Dead flowers. They just don't know it yet. Isn't that right? Sorry. Seven days later. <laughs> trash guy. There goes another 80 bucks. Just kidding. <laughs> Send flowers, man. Send flowers. You might be sending some to me this week. <laughs> After today, maybe to Donna. All right. A hard heart does not grow. It eventually dies. Secondly, a hard heart does not prosper. It declines. It just declines. If you don't work out, you lose muscle tone. If you don't believe it, stay on the couch for a week. And then try to get up and go do exactly what you've been doing. You lose. Thirdly, a hard heart does not see the Lord. It sees everything but the Lord. He can be all around you. You don't even see it. And finally, on this one, I would simply say, a hard heart does not look through eyes of faith. We talked about that in our class today, or the word faith came up a lot, Mike. And a hard heart does not look through the eyes of faith. It looks through the eyes of the world. What eyes are you looking through? Are you looking through the eyes of faith these days? Or are you looking through the eyes of the world these days? Now remember, God knows all things. He knew everything that the disciples were thinking before they thought it. And He knows exactly what you're thinking while you're thinking it, and before you thought it, and after you think it. So how do we keep ourselves from allowing our hearts to become hardened by the world is the question. The world around us will cause us to have a hard heart. There's no doubt about it. It hardens our heart. Of all the things that are going, how do we do that? I think what will help us do that is to take a look at the five questions the disciples did not answer in Mark chapter 8. The five questions they did not answer. Another term for this or another title for this message someday will, will probably be five unanswered questions that need answers. So let's take a look as we break them down. See what you think. Number one, why are you talking about having no bread? That's interesting. Why are you talking about having no bread? Of all the things for you guys to talk about, we just fed 4,000 people. There's nobody else here. There's no mention of anybody else. It's just us. And the first thing you want to do is you want to jump to the bread. John's telling Peter. Peter's telling James. Why didn't you bring it? I thought you were. I thought you packed it. Did you ever do that? Think you had something? You didn't have it? Don and I left Michigan one time. On vac- uh, we were going on vacation. It's Christmas. I kid you not. And uh, so, you know, we're going down there for Christmas, going to Kentucky. And we packed the suitcases the night before. We're going to leave right after work, get in the car, drive all the way down to Kentucky, get down there, go to the trunk of the car, pop the trunk, rut roll. <laughs> Donna, why didn't you pack the suitcases? She goes, oh. I thought you got them. I said, oh, I thought you got them. That's what we do, don't we? I don't know where that went, but anyway, whatever. 
In other words, I'm going to break these down in my words, not in Jesus' words. Jesus' words will never change, but our thoughts can change from day to day of what we read. That's the beauty of God's word. It changes us. So I'm going to look at this as the question is, why are you talking about having no bread? In other words, you're more concerned about what you have than what I have or who I am. When you are more concerned about what you have attained in life by your doings rather than what God has blessed you with and given you, you are in the beginning stages of a hardened heart. Be careful. So where's, your, where, where's it at? Where does it lie? Are you more concerned of what you have and what you've done? Look at me. Look at all that I got. Or look what God has done. Because if it's the first... I will tell you, it is the beginning stages of a hardened heart. Be careful. First, we must continually set the hearts on things above, Scripture says. Colossians 3 says exactly that. Verse number 2, set your minds and things above, not on earthly things. It's kind of hard to do when you're living on earth. With all the commercials we have, with all the stuff before us. Boy, I got a red car, I don't want a blue one. Well, let's just buy a blue one and a red one. Watch uh, Colossians chapter 3. I, I, I put this one in because I just love the way it was written. I, I often um, look at different translations and try to say, hey, this one's really speaking to me today. Watch this one. It says, since you became alive again, so to speak, when Christ arose from the dead, now set your sight on the rich treasures and the joy of heaven where he sits beside God in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and with God. And when Christ, who is our real life, comes back again, and he will, you will shine with him and share in all of his glories. And the church says, isn't that good? That is good news. We got to think about those things, he tells us. If your heart is full of heavenly thoughts, your worries will be much, much less. When people come in, they're stressed out, and they're telling me, oh, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. When is the, I, I will often say, time out. When is the last time that you thought about heaven? I ain't got heaven on my mind now. I got all this. Yeah, that's right. So pause for a minute. Tell each other, the people that you love, time out. Let's think about heavenly things. Let's think about the glory of God. Let's think about the blessings he has given us. Even in the midst of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Everybody else was freaked out. God's saying, you can grind rest in me. So if your heart is full of heavenly thoughts, your worry is less. So when you stress, think of heavenly things. Number two, do you still not see or understand? Uh, That's a powerful question. Don't you understand? Can't you see what's happening? Can't Can't you see what's happening before your very eyes? And don't you understand? So this this is how I how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? And when you answer that question, is I I want you to know, I want to ask you, do you understand? more now than you did when you became a Christian. Because I believe that's what God is trying to say to somebody today. 
is do you not understand, do you still not understand where I'm taking you in life? Where I have you in life? What the purpose of life is for you? Do you not understand this? In other words, this is what I put, my words again. In other words, your knowledge of what you think you need is distorted. Because what they thought they needed was bread. What we think we need is not necessarily what we need. God knows what we need. Give me an amen. Why do I say that? Because a distorted heart, a distorted heart is a dangerous thing. It's like driving under the influence of alcohol. You become impaired and wrong decisions are just waiting to happen. They are. Second Timothy chapter 3 talks about this. This is but Mark said this. He said, Mark this down, excuse me, Second Timothy, but it says, uh, but mark this down. There will be terrible times in the last days. Think about this now. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. And in verse 7 it says, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Sound like anybody you know? Sound like the world we live in? Thinking that they know everything but they know absolutely nothing of the truth or they try to distort it. The world is trying to distort the truth. The truth is God's word. We cannot change it, but the world is in a rush to distort it, to make it sound like everything is okay that you're doing. The Bible is given so that we might find salvation through Jesus the Christ, but also that we might live a life worthy of the calling once we become Christians. Paul prayed that for the church to always have clarity, Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you. He's saying, I want you to open your heart. That's my prayer for it. That's my prayer for the church here. It's the same. It's that, that, that your heart will be open. Open to receive all the goodness that God has for you and just bathe in that, that wonderful thing called love, God's love, and the beauty of it in our lives. So I simply say on this one, don't distort the truth, embrace it. When you, when you see the truth, embrace it. Even if it causes you much pain to change. Because you know in the end it will be well worth it because God knows what's best for you. Give me an amen. Number three, are your hearts hardened? It must be something that can happen if it's asked. Think about that. Are your hearts hardened? Why? Scar tissue is a terrible thing. It toughens stuff up. Sometimes you can't even have a feeling. And if it's on the inside of you, it's even worse because it can just play havoc on your insides. Scar tissue. And in this process of looking at this, are your hearts hardened? Are they calloused up? Or are they pliable? 
In other words, I would say on this one is you're apparently not paying attention. Because when you're not paying attention to what God is doing in your life, your heart becomes hardened. I promise you. Paying attention. People that don't pay attention can miss out on life and the blessing that is right in front of them, that God has for them. Can't see the forest for the trees, we say. When I, moved from, uh, when I moved from Michigan to Kentucky in the ninth grade, you know my story. When I moved there in high school, I met a young girl, and I paid attention. And I won the prize. And we've nearly been married for 42 years. And all of those good-looking, tall guys out there, they missed out. And when we go to the, the class reunion, I'm like, yeah. You might have more hair than me. And you might be taller than me. But I got the prize. <laughs> and the reason why is because I paid attention. And it's important in our lives. Paying attention. For if you don't, your heart becomes hardened. Young people, I would have you listen closely. Everything out there, everything out there in the world, is trying its best to get your attention. And here's the thing. What you pay attention to is what will draw you in. It will draw you in. Be careful. Got to pay attention or you can end up in trouble. I often tell this to people as well in their lives because they're, they're trying to say, man, I know God had this for my life. He had this for my life. He had this for my life. I just can't get a breakthrough. I just don't know why. And I tell them this. About a normal, common house fly. You ever get one in the house and they just bug you? They're just all over the place. They usually go to a window. They go to a window because they see something outside. And they want everything on the outside of that pain. They want that, what's out there. I want freedom! That's what they want, don't they? And in that process, what do they do? They sit there at that window all day as though they're going to buzz through that window. And the next morning when you get up, you go to that window, where's the fly? (laughs) On the windowsill, conked out, dead in a doornail. All the while, throughout that day, that they wanted to escape freedom, the door, ten feet away, had been opened perhaps a hundred times. you got to pay attention. If God closed windows, he's opened doors. If he closes a door, he's opened a window. He will make sure that there is a way for you if you pay attention. Good. Proverbs 4 tells us that. Really? Yeah, it does. My son, pay attention to what I say. I love that. And then he talks about the heart. Turn your, uh, turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. So we store them up. For they are the life to those who find them and the health to the one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from the heart. Everything, everything that you do flows from the heart. Listen to what he said in Jeremiah 24. He said, and I will give them a heart to know me. Did you know that if you're not a Christian today, God wants to give you a new heart? That's how much he loves you. He wants to give you a brand new heart that you will love him the same way that he loves you. 
Do you serve God with your whole heart? Do you? If on a scale from 1 to 10, where you at on that? Most people are going to say 5, maybe a 6. Some would even be brave and say 7 or 8, maybe 9. But I don't know any perfect 10s in this room. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a 9 and sometimes I'm a minus 1. And it happens. He longs for you. He longs to have that relationship with you. He longs to. Pay attention. And you'll notice where all your blessings come from. And that keeps your heart pliable before God. Number four. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And I wrote this one down four or five times in four different ways, I guess. But nonetheless, this is my take on it. In other words, you're being deceived. Deception is a way of cheating what it is. And the greatest one is we do it to ourselves. That's right. We deceive ourselves. Deception is cheating you out of something that's yours. It is, look over here while I take something over here. It's that hand, that pee under the shell game. And this is what Satan is best at. And he's still great at it today. Perhaps better than ever today. Is that what he does? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. Notice he's talking to the church here. And he's talking about a long time ago. And he said, Your minds, your hearts may somehow be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion of Christ. Listen, I know people that were sold out for Christ that are no longer sold out for Christ. They've been deceived into believing something else or another way. We have to guard against that in our lives. The warning Paul was given to the church here is the same warning that we need to have today. The serpent is still sly. He's tri- he uses his trickery even better, as I said. And he knows if he can get your heart, it won't be long until he gets your soul. And listen to me. If, if he goes after you and he's not going to get you, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to go after your mate. He's going to go after your children. He's going to go after your grandchildren. He will do anything to destroy your life. This is why you have to teach your children the truth. This is why we have to bring them to studies and let them look and be immersed in God's word and God's love. And we need to talk to them about what Satan is trying to trick them into believing, what the world will try to say. We're sending these high school students off to college. Now, pretty good in this area. We're pretty good. You don't hear a lot of that in the classrooms. But when you get to college, you know exactly what is taught. It is everything normally but Christian principles. That's a bunch of hogwash. You need to get out of your mind. It's not true. Oh, that's, that doesn't do this, that doesn't that. And before you know it, And then we wonder why between these ages of 18 and 25, there's a huge gap within the body of Christ. It is because somebody has allowed somebody to deceive our children. That's the truth. It's probably too stirred up and passionate. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart of the most deceitful thing that there is desperately wicked. It goes on to say, no one can really know how bad it is. Think about that. And that's the truth, too. Do you ever watch something on TV or hear something? 
You see something or you hear something. And you say to yourself, man, I can't believe that. That's the worst thing I ever saw. That's the worst thing could ever happen. And then what happens? Something worse happens. There is evil in our world. No one can really know how bad it is. Only the Lord knows. He searches all the hearts, searching yours today, examines the deep motives or the depths of the motives so that he can give each person his right reward. God gives rewards. Oh, yes, he does. According to his deeds, it's what we do, not to get in or to stay in, but because we're in. How he has lived his life out. You live your life out better with a soft heart, pliable heart, than you do a hard heart. Oh, yes, it does make a difference. Now, you know why the Lord said in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean on your own understanding. Don't allow Satan to rob you of what God has for you. I've allowed that too much in my life. Too much. Number five, and I go back to this, don't you remember? He mentions that a few times in this. Don't you remember? I love this question, but I think sometimes it causes me to pause and he's asking me the question. Don't you remember? Or remember when? Alan Jackson's song, Remember When. Beautiful song. And it just takes you back. Sometimes I'll dance with my wife in the living room and we'll put that song on. Remember when I had hair? (laughs) Remember. I was much taller. I really was. When we got married, I was three and a half inches taller than I am right now. That's no joke. But remember, I got married in 1976 and I wore platforms. All right. (laughs) Or bell bottoms too. But anyway, all right. Don't you remember? What's the saying? Here's my words. Okay, put them up. In other words, your memory is recalling things that perish, not things that are eternal. Did you catch that one? Because... What they were recalling was what? Bread. God has given us all this beautiful thing called memory. And we decide what we choose to recall. And what you recall can set you on a course of blessing and joy or misery and defeat. Some of you are living a defeated life is because of what you are choosing to remember in your past. Somebody needs to write that down. Did you get that on tape? That's good. And that's the truth. I'll prove it to you real quick. Let's do a little, I don't know, whatever. Think of someone right now that you love dearly. It could be a mom, a dad, brother, sister, your, your mate. It could be your children. It could be your grandchildren. Think of someone when you think of, it. could be somebody that's gone that you just miss and love so much. And when they come to your mind right now, think of that person. Think of them. Think of them. And, and, and just, boy, just, what's it do for you? It brings you what? It brings you joy. Put a smile on your face. Man, it just makes me feel good when I think about my mama. I mean, just I just think about her sometimes when I'm watching the red birds out back. And I'm like, I just... Wow, it just makes me feel good all over, doesn't it? Anybody with me now? Now watch, see how it works. Think of the person that's hurt you deeply in your life. You don't want to. In fact, you don't even want to hear the name. Just the name causes something inside of you to boil up. 
And I mean, right now, you're going, la, 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 la. I'm not listening to what this guy says because you don't even want to think about that person. But think about them. Got it? What's going on in your mind right now? Not too good. See what I mean? You choose which one you recall. You do. This is one reason why we take the Lord's Supper. Talked about today, beautiful job, and in this time. So why do we do that? Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. We choose to do it every Sunday because the example is in the New Testament. The scripture actually says, as often as you come together, you do it. But nonetheless, in that, we come together. He said, do this in remembrance. Why would he say do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why would he institute that? Why would he give us that? It's because we are humans. He knew that we would come, we would read, we would sing, we would clap, we would smile, and we would go home, and we would forget what it's really all about. So that when we come and we surround ourselves at the table with the Lord and commune with each other and with him, we're doing it to remember. To remember what? His death, His burial, His resurrection. But my death, my burial, and my resurrection because of what He did in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So all the way around, I rejoice. It's all because of that. Remembrance. Remembrance of what He's done for me. Listen to what King David said, and we'll finish up. Psalm 77, it says... I recall the many miracles he did for me so long ago. Those wonderful deeds are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about them. Oh God, your ways are holy. Where is there any other as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. We ask in class today some questions about, you know, what has God done for you and all those things. How often do you just pause in your day or week or month and just pause and think about all the good things, all the blessings that God has given you? Just to say thank you, God. Just to say, I want to thank you. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you for saving a wretch like me. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to praise you. I just want to remember all the good that God has done for me. That God placed me in a family that loved Jesus. That I was introduced from the time of my birth. I just want to thank you. I just remember those days. I remember those days and we would do our Bible studies in, in Almont, Michigan, and we'd set it to feed, and mom would say, Boys, get in here, We've got to do our Bible lessons. It's gonna be church tomorrow. We'd fight and we we'd do all those things to try to get to polish my dad's shoes. We just love to polish. Oh, I had to look good. I remember those like they were yesterday. I remember working on those messages. He said, no, 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 that's not right. That's not what he did. And this isn't, and yeah, that's good. And you get, that's right. God loves you. Remember my dad praying before the meals. I remember that. 
I remember how they embraced me and loved me when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I remember how they embraced me and thanked God that I graduated from high school. And I remember how they embraced me and said, I, I just, we just love that you picked this beautiful bride to be yours. And she just knew she was the right one. They just knew that. And I remember how they loved her like she was their daughter. I remember that. You see, your memory can just pull you to so many levels of the goodness of God. But I want to tell you this in final. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. How do I know that? I know that because Scripture teaches us Because he died for your sins. And he died for my sins. And he died for the sins of the world. Now think about this. God remembers you every moment of every day. How much do you remember him? Heart. We grow spiritually through these things that we've discussed today. Perhaps today you have a prayer request, a concern, a praise perhaps. Whatever that is, we stand ready right now to do this this song for you and you can come forward and people will come with you and they'll be praying with you and for you. But maybe today is your day to say, you know what? I've opened up my heart enough today to let Jesus come on in. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be buried with him in baptism. I want to walk this new life that he's given. I want this new heart that you've been talking about. It's available. So if you want to do it now, it's fine. If it's after service and you meet me out in the foyer or one of the men who are up here today, just feel free to tell us. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't let the world pull you back. Let God pull you in because that's what he wants in your life. And he wants it in your heart today. Thank you for being such a great audience today. God bless you. Whatever your need is, you come together as we stand and sing.